Christ is risen. He is. is risen indeed. In 1992, as a uh, young couple, my wife and I spent the better part of a month over in Bulgaria. And uh, it was our first mission trip experience. We were out in the hinterlands in Bulgaria. And while I was there, uh, of course, you got to know, meet a lot of different people. My heritage is Romanian. Uh, my mother's side is uh, Romanian through and through. And if you're familiar with geography, you know that Romania and Bulgaria are right next to each other. When the Bulgarians found out that I was Romanian, they said, oh, did you learn any Romanian? Do you know any Romanian? Uh, and I said, no, I, I don't know anything. I know one phrase, Christos conviat. And their eyes lit up and they responded, Devarat conviat. And I thought, oh, now I'm in trouble because I don't know what to do for them. Uh, con, uh, Christos conviat, Romanian for Christ is risen. Uh, Devarat conviat, he is risen indeed. Uh, and it was my first real realization that what we do as Christians when we have that rapport back and forth, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, is not something that's just limited to uh, the English-speaking world or to the Greek-speaking world or anything along those lines. That This Paschal greeting, uh, Easter greeting is referred to, goes all the way back, way back, uh, so far in church history that people can't really identify really well exactly where it was. But it was my first real inkling uh, as a young believer of this idea that, wow, I am participating in something that is all over this world and is centuries old. Centuries old. And so once again, just for enthusiasm, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And that is, of course, what we are speaking about when we come to our Scriptures this morning. So if you will open up your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to look at the first 20 verses here today. 1 Corinthians 15. Hear the word of the Lord as He speaks to us this morning. Paul writes, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than all of them, though it was not I, but the grace that God had given within me. Whether it is I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to have been misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. 
For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Let's pray together. Lord, as always, we come to you having read your word, listening well for your response to us so that we might be transformed by your word. Work powerfully in us, we pray in your son's name. Amen. I forgot, and just because I'm trying to get us there a little bit here, the last line there says, but in fact, Christ is raised from the dead, the first fruits who have fallen asleep. And then I say, this is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. There you go. We have uh, uh, the passage of Scripture here that Paul's working through obviously deals with the resurrection. And that's what we talk about when we come together on Easter. We've got resurrection text here before us. It's a wonderful passage that speaks of the resurrection of our Lord. But I'm intrigued, <clears throat> excuse me, by the way Paul backs into this passage. It's kind of odd a little bit the way he gets going. If you look in the first couple of verses of chapter 15 here, Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you. This is the 15th chapter of a really long letter. And if you're familiar with First uh, Corinthians, there's 16 chapters in it. So right towards the very end of the chapter of the letter that Paul's writing, he says, now I want to remind you of the gospel message. If you're familiar with First Corinthians, you know that he's talking about the gospel message all the way through there. He's talking about the importance of worship, what it means to serve the Lord faithfully, what it means that Christ died for our sins, the transforming work of Christ, what it means to be a body together and a church together. All the way through the First Corinthians, he's talking about the gospel message. And then right at the very end, this 15th chapter here, he then says, oh, I want to remind you about the gospel, this thing that I've been talking about. It'd be like waiting until the last three minutes of a football game for the ref to gather everybody together and say, okay, now I want to tell you the rules about football here or something like that. Okay, they, uh, for 15 chapters he's been talking about the gospel, and yet he stops here and he says, I want to remind you of the gospel. And I think that's intriguing only for a couple of reasons. One, there are a lot of people who think they know what the gospel is who really don't. They have some vague notion of the gospel. And I, and I trust that many of you here, as many of you know I'm new here uh, to Hebron, but my guess is that many of you who have been involved in the ministry here at Hebron for years, central there. Nevertheless, those of us who are in leadership positions know because we know our own hearts how easy it is to miss the essential gospel message. And so, yes, it's late in the game here, and yet Paul starts by saying, I want to remind you again about the gospel. But secondly, don't ever forget the relentless drive of sin that operates in every heart that wants to minimize or cheapen or blind us to the essence of the gospel. And I'm not talking about people who are outside the church. Of course, that's the way sin works in their life as well. I'm talking about the people that are gathered right here. There's that relentless drive of sin 
to blind us to the power and the essence of the Gospel. And so it makes perfect sense to me that Paul here, right at the end of his letter, says, I want to remind you again of the Gospel so you don't forget the Gospel. Well, what is the Gospel? Look here, he goes on, speaks about it, verses 3-5. through For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received. Paul's just saying here, I'm passing on the true essence of the Gospel. Here it is. Here's the Gospel. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and to all the twelve. And then he goes on and talks about other people. Okay, here's Paul's summary of the Gospel. If you have to summarize the Gospel, he says... Christ died, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. That phrase, in accordance with the Scripture, as you can see, is repeated twice. Basically what he's saying there is that Christ died for our sin. Christ was raised from the dead according to the very plan of God. This is not something that just happened. This was God's plan from the beginning. So God's plan from the beginning is what? That He died for our sins, that He was buried. Now, I'm going to make a a point here in a second. You'll see it. I think that he was buried is just emphasizing that first part. When Christ died, he really died. You can tell. The demonstration of this is that he was buried. He actually went into the tomb for three days. He buried. He was buried. So the first point of the Gospel is that according to the Scriptures, God's plan, he died for our sins, and you can tell because he was buried. And then secondly here, and that he was th- on the third day he was raised from the dead according to God's plan. And the demonstration of that is that he appeared to all of these people. The proof of it is that he appeared to all these So in Paul's mind, he says, I want to remind you of the Gospel. First, that Christ died for our sins. Secondly, that he was raised again from the dead. When I was over in Bulgaria, again, I was just in my early 20s here, mid-20s, uh, Kelly and I had just gotten married and I was just starting out in, in ministry. And so we were on this mission trip. And so we're in the hinterlands of Bulgaria. And we're traveling around. And we go into these towns. And right away people identify us as, as uh, Americans. This was right after the, uh, the wall came down. The Berlin Wall came down. So uh, the, the communist governments, which Bulgaria was one, were opening up. So we were fresh faces in, in, uh, to Bulgaria. So we're in Bulgaria, we're sitting there, and what we would do is we'd play the guitar, et cetera, et cetera, and then a crowd would gather, and then we'd have an open-air preaching thing. So this is my first open-air preaching experience, and so I'm standing up there, and uh, so I start preaching, and this is, if you've ever worked with a translator, you know that after a while you get into a rhythm, because of course I didn't know any Bulgarian, I'm speaking in English, and there's somebody that's translating into Bulgarian. So I preach, you know, you say a phrase and the translator says something, and then you say a phrase and the translator... So you're back and forth in this regard, and you fall into a good rhythm, but you have to get used to it because, uh, you know, as a preacher, you tell a joke and nothing happens. Then he translates it, and everybody laughs. And it's kind of disconcerting that there's that gap in there between things, but you get used to it. So well, I'm, preaching the, I'm preaching the gospel. I'm sharing the gospel here to these people that haven't heard the gospel. Uh, communism, of course, uh, minimized the function of the church for years. I'm preaching, and I'm, I'm getting all excited, and I'm building up to the point. And I get to that high point of the gospel message, and I say, and Christ died for your sins. And I make this great big point. My hands are up, and my face is all eager. And, I, you know, and then I wait, and the guy translates it, and nothing. Nothing. 
Think, well, I'm a great preacher. You know, <laughs> this is a wonderful anticipation. And then I just kind of went, well, okay, that didn't work very well. So, and then just kind of to throw in the rest of the story and just kind of wrap it up, I just kind of said, and Jesus rose from the dead and he's coming back to take you home someday. And, you know, I turn and kind of walk away. The guy translates it and the place goes nuts. The place goes nuts. Women are crying. A parade is happening. And all. I mean, they really responded powerfully to this idea. It was one of the most instructive moments for me. Because I am well aware of the sin in my life. And the people that I work with in ministry many of them here that I've already met with, and I'm well aware of the sin in your life. I'm well aware of the devastation, the separation that that causes from God, and the guilt that that brings upon us, appropriately so. The guilt of our sin and the suffering of our sin upon us is clear. And in my mind, Christ coming and dying on the cross and taking that sin away is such a powerful image for me. It's such an overwhelming aspect. It's such an overwhelming part of the Gospel that in my mind it is the Gospel. And so when I get to speaking the Gospel with somebody and even today the power of the cross is such an overwhelming image to me that that's the Gospel in my mind. That's not the Gospel according to Paul. Without the resurrection, there is no Gospel. If the, go- if the resurrection is not forefront in our minds as Christians, we have no part of the Gospel. That's exactly what Paul is talking about throughout this letter. He is saying, if you want to get psyched up about the cross, go right ahead. That's a beautiful thing, but that's only part of the story. If the story ends with Christ in the ground, you have no story. You have no Gospel message. See, I get so caught up in my own experience of of sin and the need for redemption that that's where I locate my focus. The Bulgarians were living in a world that was so different than ours. And they were experiencing the work of sin as victims in so differently than ours. And they were desperate to hear that death is not the end for everyone. They were desperate to hear that this world doesn't end just in the grave. Just as I'm desperate to hear that the sin in my life, that the sin that I see in your life will not pull you into hell so too I have to be just as passionate and committed to the Gospel message, the full Gospel message, that proclaims that death has been conquered by our Lord. And just as importantly in my... This is why I think Paul takes the time at the end of his letter here to remind people of the Gospel. He's reminding us of something because it's easy... Maybe I'm, I'm putting onto everybody my own experience, and I don't want to do this. But it's one thing for me to, to wrap my head around the fact that Christ died for me. Somebody died for, on my behalf. I can, I can appreciate that. I can wrap around that. 
But resurrection from the dead, that's just best left a little vague. I'm okay believing it, but that's kind of out there a little bit. And Paul is saying, without an embrace, an understanding of the resurrection, you have no gospel. Take a look in your scriptures, if you will, when Paul starts working, walking through this in verse 12. He says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, 1 Corinthians, if you know a little bit about the history of the letter, is that Paul clearly, there was a pre-1st Corinthians letter that Paul receives that says, hey, we've got these theological problems. Help us out with them. Well, evidently, one of the theological problems that they had was that they were doubting the resurrection from the dead. They're doubting that people can be raised from the dead. And what an easy thing to doubt. I mean, a lot of us have this mindset that the people back then were, you know, kind of barbarians and they didn't really know what they were thinking. And it was easy for them to think of resurrection. It was no more easy for them to think of resurrection than it is for us. Dead is dead. Dead is decaying. Dead is, is absent of anything. And they were used to death perhaps a whole lot more than we were. They knew that when you killed an animal, it stayed dead. When your loved one died, it stayed dead. And yet here, they're saying, just like you and I would say, resurrection might be a great idea, but come on. You can't really resurrect the dead. And Paul here has the most logical, straightforward argument. He says, listen, listen carefully. If there's no resurrection from the dead, then Christ couldn't be resurrected from the dead. Right? If it's impossible to do this, then it couldn't have happened to Christ. If, if Christ is proclaimed, now if Christ is proclaimed as being raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection from the dead? If there's no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Alright, now, let's take that as a premise. Let's assume that there's no resurrection from the dead. None of us have seen it. None of us can even begin to imagine it. You hear it proclaimed on Easter all the time, and you hear it sometimes, hopefully, when you hear the full gospel message, you hear it. But come on, that's way out there, the resurrection from the dead. We might want to think, okay, maybe when I'm long, long gone and dead. But Paul's saying, no, it's essential to the gospel message that you think through what it means that the resurrection from the dead is real. What does he say here? Let's let's assume there's no... Okay, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, verse 14... If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain. Our preaching is in vain. Now, what what is he referencing there? Uh, This is part of the problem. Uh, For you to think that Christ didn't raise from the dead might not picture everything that's said here at this pulpit or stage is somehow in vain, is useless. But it absolutely... Absolutely is. Because what you are going to hear from this stage, what you are going to hear in any Christian church, is not how to live a happy life and good moral thoughts to live by and the way you should carry yourself ethically and morally and all the good things in which you should... 
All of that is likely to come out, but it comes out in the context of one solid understanding. Jesus Christ is Lord. We preach Christ, Christ crucified, Christ raised. That's it. And if Christ did not raise from the dead, then all of our preaching, everything you hear here, every concept that I toss out or that Doug tosses out or that anybody else says in Christ's name, if He is in the grave, the tomb right now, it means nothing. Your pre- our preaching is in vain at the end of verse 14. And so is your faith. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is useless. It means nothing. Why? Because faith, faith is to depend on something. Faith is to lean on something. Faith is to trust in something. Who wants to trust in a decaying body in some tomb in the Middle East? That's what your faith is if Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, to trust, to rely, to depend upon Jesus Christ is ridiculous. Who would possibly trust in a dead man? If Christ has not been raised, your preaching is useless. Our preaching is useless. Um, Your faith is in vain. And then verse 15, he moves on and says, we are even found to be misrepresenting God. We are liars. But worse than that, because everybody's a liar. Okay, is it really that terrible a thing to be a liar? I mean, we all know we're not supposed to lie, but everybody lies. You know, why does Paul make this big deal out of the fact that if there's no resurrection, we're lying? Because we're lying about God. They have a term for that. It's called blasphemy. If Christ is still in the grave, if the tomb is not empty, if there is no resurrection, then every time you talk about Jesus Christ, you are blaspheming God. I can't really say that word. Blasphemying. Blaspheming God. You are lying about God. If the resurrection is not true... Every time you speak of Him, you are blaspheming God Himself. Verse 16, 17, For if Christ is not raised, uh, sorry, for if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. This is the logic point that He keeps making across the board. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Now somebody's going to say, wait a minute. It's still possible that Christ could die for our sin on the cross and then God just not raise him from the dead. His body decays. So let's say that, like me, you're you're, you're engrossed with the idea that God gave his life for, that Christ gave his life for you. And you're captivated by that and that drives you to think and to understand and to appreciate the cross of Christ. But this resurrection thing, yeah, yeah, that either happens or not. The important thing is the cross of Jesus Christ. And Paul says here, if you think like that, you're still in your sins. Because what does it, the, the whole idea of my sin being taken up by Jesus Christ and dying on the cross, my guilt, every part of it, being laid upon Jesus Christ and Him dying on the cross 
for me. All of that is made possible by the fact that God accepts His sacrifice for me. How do we know that God accepts Christ's sacrifice for me? He raised Christ from the dead. If there is no resurrection, there is no acceptance of the sacrifice. And you are still in your sin. Verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, you are still in your sins. Verse 18. Then those who have fallen asleep have perished. Uh, Death wins. The dead are still dead. But the Gospel message holds forward this constant theme for us that this is not the only thing that's out there. That God Himself will yet bring about the resurrection for us. That there is more to this life that our dead, that the dead loved ones that we miss so much are not lost to us. They're not lost to God. Why do we know that they're not lost to God? Because Christ has been raised from the dead. And if He hasn't, then there is nothing but this. Which is why in verse 19, Paul summarizes all of this. He says, if, Christ, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, if only in this life we have Christ, we of all people are most to be pitied. Now, I suspect there's a little bit of hyperbole in there that we're most to be pitied if Christ has not been raised from the dead. On the other hand, think about it. Especially take a second and think of the men and women that you know in this room right now who have dedicated their lives, who have given their lives over to their faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, they have full family life, they have their work life, they have their home life, they have everything, but they are shaping every part of their life exactly the way the Gospel calls us to do it, exactly the way that I know so many of you are. You're shaping your entire life around Jesus Christ. If He's rotting in a tomb, you are indeed most to be pitied. You are most to be pitied. Your preaching, our preaching, the gospel message is useless without the resurrection. Your faith is useless without the resurrection. You blaspheme God every time you talk about Christ without the resurrection. You are still in your sins without the resurrection. Forgot the next one. You are dead. The dead are lost to us without the resurrection. And we are most to be pitied without the resurrection. Long pause for emphasis. Verse 20, But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of of those who have fallen asleep. All of this Paul builds up and tries to show you that without the resurrection, there is no Gospel. And then he ends with this high note, but know this, that Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And if that's the truth, then everything that Paul has been painting is turned on its head. 
Your gospel message, the the life that you live, is far from useless. It means everything to you. The gospel message that you live every day means everything to you. Your faith that grounds you, that trusts you, you are trusting in one who has been raised from the dead, has the power to raise the very dead. The dead are not lost to us, but they are still alive. Every time we proclaim Jesus Christ, we are praising our Lord and Savior. Everything about our lives is to be abundant in Jesus Christ because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul leaves us with absolutely two options and two options alone. The resurrection is a hoax. It's just too much to believe in. And we just continue on with our vague notions of spirituality, our vague notions of the gospel, and we continue to go through your motions, but know for certain everything about Christianity is a lie if Christ is in the grave. That's option one. Option two is that the resurrection is real. And everything the Bible proclaims about it is exactly as the Scriptures speak. Now, I'm not up here proving the resurrection to you. That's what you need to do when you leave this building today. Any person here that walks away from this sermon without questioning, without thinking to themselves, without being confronted by the reality of this text, how well, how much do I actually embrace the reality that Christ died for my sin and was raised on the third day? Every person here needs to be asking themselves, and always, as always, ask somebody who knows you and loves you well, do you see in my life that I believe passionately in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If all you see in my life is that you believe passionately in the cross of Christ, you don't yet understand the gospel. The gospel message is not living well. It's not doing the right thing. It's not learning to worship correctly. All of that is part of the gospel. The gospel message is that Jesus Christ died for your sins And He is risen again on the third day so that we might know the the abundant life that God has laid out for us. You have to go home and see if that is who you are. One who believes ultimately that the resurrection is just a hoax or one who holds passionately and truthfully to the biblical witness that Jesus Christ died and rose again from the dead. For I truly believe, with everything I have, Christ is risen. Okay, the segue there evidently didn't work really well. Okay, I'm working up to something. Ready? For I truly believe, Christ is risen. Much better. Let's pray. Lord, indeed, we hold passionately to that truth that you have risen from the dead, that there is no grave that holds you for over death. You have been utterly and completely and totally victorious. And as such, 
The gospel message is powerful. Our faith is powerful. We celebrate you every time we speak of Jesus Christ. The dead are secure in a future resurrection in Jesus Christ. And we live a life that is abundant in your name. Lord, thank you so much for that constant witness of Jesus Christ, that he is alive, both now and forevermore. Amen.